Welcome to The Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mom of six kids, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Payne Show. I cannot tell you how much I have been looking forward to this episode. I read the book that we're going to be talking about months ago. And then there has just been thing after thing after thing that has come up that we have not gotten to record this episode. And we are finally getting it done today. And I just feel like those who are listening and me... We all need this message from Allie Worthington. She has a brand new book out that is called Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood. It is fantastic. I wish that this was a video because I would hold up my book and I would show you how many underlinings, how many pages I have turned down. And I have gone back to this over and over and over. I was actually so inspired by this book. We ended up, Jesse and I earlier did an entire podcast episode on slacker parenting, which we're going to talk about in this show. But first, before we get to all the goodness, we got to start with the goodness of Allie, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've been on the podcast before, but I'd love for you to just tell us where you are right now and um, introduce yourself to anyone who doesn't know who you are. Well, thank you for such an amazing introduction. You are a great friend as you've been for years and years. Um, I am the mom of five boys. I have a stepdaughter who has grown. My husband and I live outside of Nashville with a very pampered golden retriever. I am an entrepreneur who loves to build businesses to help women thrive. So in any area of life, my I like to joke that my day job is a business coach. So that's what I spend time on. But I love to write books about what women are going through in our lives and just help them out in any way I can. And your books have deeply, deeply impacted my life. Every single one that I have read has these nuggets in it that have stuck with me that I have repeated over and over and over again. So I just feel like God has really gifted you with communicating truths in a way that at least preached to my heart in a big way. So thank you for that. And this book is no exception. I was so excited to get a pre-release copy and could not wait to start reading it. And you did not disappoint once again. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear behind this book, like what was your heart behind this book? You have five boys and a stepdaughter. So you have lived a lot of parenting life. Tell us the ages of your boys, by the way. Yeah, the youngest is 15 and the oldest is 24, almost 25. So I I never wanted to write a marriage book or a parenting book because, you know, us authors, we're, we're a little scared. We're a little nervous. Like in my mind, if I ever wrote a marriage book, I was going to get divorced. If I ever wrote a parenting book, one of my kids is going to go to prison. You know, like I, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to touch those topics. But people kept coming to me for mothering. And I, uh, and I thought, well, are there resources out there? You know, and I surveyed my audience and over a thousand women came back with some really interesting feedback. They said that mom guilt is something they deal with almost all the time. And when I asked people, hey, what's the number one cause of mom guilt? Is it you? Is it spouse? Is it your in-laws? What's going on here? The biggest single cause of mom guilt was social media. 
And that was a wake-up call for me um, because I think that being a mom is hard enough that being a mom combined with these visual images of perfection that everyone's putting out there is almost impossible right now. We are, we know that social media is a highlight reel, but there's something that happens in our brain where we see pictures of families where, you know, everyone's looking perfect and the clothes all match and the dog is smiling. And meanwhile, our two-year-old or our teenager's having a tantrum and the dog ate a sock and is throwing up on the carpet. It makes us feel lonely. It makes us feel like we're getting things wrong. It makes us feel like we're not good enough. It's almost an impossible situation for moms. So at this point, I was like, well, how can I not talk about this? Because this is something people are not talking about. We're not having honest conversations. We've had a lot of very legalistic books for how to be a good parent and how to exhaust yourself. And then there's also the, like, I'm a hot mess mom chatter out there, but What about a conversation for, I think, 90% of real women who are just trying to do a good job and raise great kids at the same time? So that's what I wanted to do. I resonate with that so much. Okay, so I have to tell you, just last night, I was dealing with mom guilt. And I, God has freed me up so much in so many ways from the guilt that I used to carry around. But it's still... It comes and rears its ugly head. And yesterday was one of those days we um, watched this little boy who we fostered, we regularly watch him. And so he's three and a half and he was just having a really rough day yesterday. And then our one-year-old got a fever and then it was spiked up to 104 and he was really sick. So we had two little ones who were just not doing well. And then our other two little ones and then our three teenagers, one's getting ready to go to college. One, two, the other two are getting, we're getting ready to go to camp. And one of them had a friend over and she was spending the night. And I just, it was like the house was just chaos and crying. And all of a sudden, my 16-year-old comes home with her friend. They've been out for a while. And she was like, what's for dinner? And it's like 7.45. There is no dinner. <laughs> like, no. I had fed the little ones just like a little snacky dinner. And there was nothing for teenagers to eat. And so she and her friend are scrounging through our cupboards looking for something to eat. And I went in the closet. I was changing a diaper. And I was just feeling all these feelings of like, you are a bad mom. Like good moms make a good dinner every single night. Good moms would not have a, you know, your child's friend over and have nothing prepared to eat for them. And I was just thinking about that so much. And I just realized, okay, hold up. Like I really had to stop myself and preach some truth to myself. But I would love for you, instead of me telling the truth I preached, like what truth did I need to hear in that moment? Because I think there's a lot of moms who probably need to hear it right now. Okay, I've got a couple things that come to mind. Number one, those 16-year-olds are learning valuable life skills to be able to make some food for themselves because we're raising a generation of kids who if food isn't prepared, if there's ingredients, they're like, I have no idea what to do. So I will say that 16-year-olds, you're old enough to prepare some food for yourself. Secondly, if we wanted to be super legalistic about it and be like, well, a good mom makes a big dinner every night, who's going to take care of those babies? One, the three and a half year old who's having a hard day and the and then that poor baby with 104 fever. You could you could put one in a playpen, um, put one in front of a video and then just put the sick one down and go make a big dinner. But what's more important? It's more important that you were present for the kids who needed you. 
a dinner of a PB&J is just fine. What matters is having a mom who is actually there for her kids. The other things, the the perfect clothes and the, you know, growing wheat in your backyard to have organic meals all the time, or, you know, whatever nonsense people say moms should do, what matters is how a mom's doing and the relationship with a mom and a child. It's not always perfect, but the fact that you were there in that moment means way more than cooking a meal. Anybody can cook a meal, but not everybody can be a mom. That's so good. And I was really preaching to myself, like, you're doing the best that you can do. But I wasn't preaching to myself, look at this opportunity for my 16-year-old to (laughs) practice independence. And I love, you talk about that in your book. You actually have a chapter called Slacker Parenting. Mm -hmm. And I think that that I love because it sort of flies in the face of what we see on social media. Like, and I, when Jesse and I did this episode called Slacker Parenting, because I resonated with that so much, I knew that there was going to be some people that they're going to be like, hold up, what? <laughs> what is she proclaiming? Like slacker parenting? That's the last thing I want to be. Tell us, tell us what slacker parenting means. Well, it's kind of a tongue in cheek way of saying, I'm not going to hold myself up to ridiculous standards. I first did an article about how I was a slacker parent um, years and years ago, and the Today Show got a hold of it and brought me on the Today Show. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to go on camera talking about being a slacker parent and everyone's going to think I'm terrible. But being a slacker parent just means you're majoring in the majors and you're not majoring in the minors. You're thinking about what's important and you're not holding yourself up to ridiculous standards. And so I go on the Today Show, I talk about it and I talk about like, let's just get real. How much can a woman do in a 24 hour period? Let's talk about what's important. Let's be good to ourselves and be good to our children and teachers and mothers and people all over the country said, Thank you for saying this because these impossible standards that we hold ourselves to, sometimes it's standards that people have told us and put upon us. Sometimes it's standards that we've just kind of absorbed through the air and culture. And then sometimes it's standards, again, that we're seeing on social media. We may follow one account on social media that's all about natural products and another account that's about organic food and another account about this and about this. And if we put all those accounts together, we think, oh my goodness, I'm failing in 50 different areas. When really what someone is talking about and teaching us about all the time is like their passion, their one big thing. They're not passionate about 50 different things, but because we're absorbing messages about 50 different things all the time, we think that we need to be too. But slacker parenting is going, hey, I'm going to work really hard on the stuff that matters and the stuff that doesn't matter. I'm just going to let that go. So really, truly, there's nothing truly being like being a slacker when you're a slacker mom. But it feels that way a little bit when we've held ourselves to impossible standards at first. Well, and I was just thinking as you're sharing this. So last night, you know, I was feeling all these feelings of mom guilt. But then before I went to bed, I was holding our one-year-old and I'm just, you know, snuggling with him while our 18-year-old and 14-year-old were sitting in my room. And we had this amazing discussion about just some really hot topic issues that teens are dealing with. And I just was thinking as you're sharing this, I'm like, you know what? Okay. So it was fitting for yourself night last night at our house, literally. Um, But I think in in the long run, those those conversations with my kids, that snuggling with yeah. my one year old, that's the stuff that they're probably really going to remember. 
Oh, and that's the stuff that's important. I was just thinking they probably will be like, yeah, mom, we didn't always have great food at our house, but you know, I hope that they feel like my mom was there for me. You know, my mom was there. Well, who, what kid ever grows up and goes, I had delicious meals and that's what was important. My mom was never there for me, but I didn't care about that. No, kids care that their moms are there for them. Um, They're not going to grow up and go, if we hadn't had Stouffer's lasagna twice a week, life would have been good. You know, I, I didn't care about human connection. I just cared about food. No one, no one does that. But again, impossible standards. And if you look at the research, parents are spending twice as much time actively parenting their kids than the parents did 50 years ago. But we act like we're spending so much less and we feel so guilty about it. I mean, I can remember my my generation growing up, we got locked out of the house and told to come back when it was dinner time when the streetlights came on. No one was sitting around braiding hair teaching their kids Latin. But we kind of feel like we need to have this perfect environment for our kids to grow up in if our kids are going to be okay and nothing could be further from the truth. I love how you say the mom you are is what your kids will remember. They won't remember everything you did, but they will for sure remember who you were. And you also talk a lot about your emotional health as a mom and how important that is to your kids. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I consider emotional health the combination of our mental health, our spiritual health, and our relational health, our relationships with other people. And a wise mentor said to me years ago, your children, while they're living in your home, your children will never be emotionally healthier than you are. So if you want your kids to know how to love each other well and love others well, if you want your kids to love the Lord, if you want your kids to have great mental health and be successful in life, you need to work on yourself. And it's funny, you know, when when we are pregnant or when we know we're about to adopt a baby, We'll think about ourselves a little bit. But as soon as that baby gets here, that's the last time women really think about themselves. Once the postpartum period's over, we're done. We're on the shelf. We are there to serve our children. But once we start thinking about it differently, that, oh, the fact that I mother myself, just like I mother my kids, isn't just good for me. It's good for my kids. And the healthier we are, the healthier our kids will be that motherhood isn't just about what we do. Motherhood's about who we are. It's the the natural overflow of us taking care of ourselves will be happier, healthier kids. And I've I was explaining this to someone recently and she goes, Well, what about the moms with depression and anxiety? And I said, that is very important because not every mom needs to be perfect. I think 99.999% of moms aren't aren't perfect. We need to let our kids know when we have a struggle, when it's age appropriate. When our kids are, kids are teenagers, if we're dealing with anxiety, we can talk to them about it. These are the things I'm doing. These are the ways I'm helping myself. This is what, what I remember about the truth of Scripture to get me through. Because we're modeling what it looks like to take care of ourselves. We don't need to get it right. In fact, if we got it right all the time, it wouldn't be good for our kids. So if someone is struggling with their mental health or their emotional health and they hear that, It's not another reason to be hard on yourself. It's an invitation to allow your kids as they get older to see what real life looks like and to model caring for yourself just like you'd want your children to care for themselves no matter what they're going through too. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. If you've heard me talk at all over the last few years, you know that I went through a season where I had very severe seasonal allergies and it took me a while to figure out what was triggering it and it was debilitating. If you've ever suffered from this, I actually had my polyps got really swollen in my nose and then I got chronic rhinitis so I could not smell out of my nose. And not only that, but I would have these really awful headaches, the kind that just kept me from being able to enjoy my life. And I started going to an ENT, and one of the things that he recommended was Claritin D. And so for a time period, I took Claritin, and it was such a help to me. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It works so well. I am a living testament to how well it works. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. So if you've ever suffered from seasonal allergies, if you can relate to kind of some of the things that I have experienced and you want some relief... I highly recommend checking out Claritin D. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz 
it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amoir a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amoir.style forward slash crystal. That is amoir.style A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoir today. This episode is sponsored by Byheart, and I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. I love this quote. You said, there is no such thing as a perfect mother. And if perfection were possible, it would completely mess up the kids. Like, that'll <laughs> preach. Wow. Seriously, suppose a mother did everything perfectly. What would happen when the kids left the house and discovered a world of imperfect people? What would happen when a cruel friend hurt their feelings, their boss didn't give them grace in a situation, or their spouse lost their temper? I'll tell you what would happen. The person raised by a perfect mom would melt down because they wouldn't have the mental toughness and emotional intelligence to deal with imperfect people. They never would have had the chance to develop those skills before they left home. That is really powerful. And I think that is a message that we don't hear very often these days. And so you're talking about our emotional health as a mom. Can you give us some practical examples? What does this look like? Like, how do we know are we emotionally healthy as a mom? How do we pursue emotional health? Oh, such a good question. I think some of the big ones is that we can look as a kind of flag for our emotional health is how do we deal with anger? Now, a lot of moms will go, oh, if I'm mad, it's automatically bad. Anger is something that God gave us, just like he gave us the rest of our emotions, but we want to channel it, right? If we find ourselves flying off the handle, that's uh, all the time. That's a red flag that we're not taking care of ourselves. If we're dealing with depression, it's a red flag that we're not taking care of ourselves. So those are some red flags where we can go, oh, my anger or my depression is something that can tell me, hey, 
it's it's time I take care of me. Some simple things we can do. Uh, I'm a big fan of counseling, Christian counselors, Christian therapists, that uh, whether that is through somebody that you find online, someone that you find through your church, as long as they are trained as a therapist. I'm a big fan of that. Um, women spending more time with other women who are healthy is key. Because one of the things that happens to moms, especially moms raising young kids, is we get really lonely because we're we are in the the grind of taking care of those kids all the time. We're not with other women. Other women who make us feel good, not flatter us, but when we're with them, we feel better after we've been spent time with them than before we've started. That's key. That's something great we can do for our emotional health. And just start paying attention to when we feel burned out, when we feel like we need some help, because as women, we do not feel comfortable ever asking for help. We feel like if we ask for help, it means that we can't do it all. We feel like we're failing in some way, but moms are asked to do superhuman jobs every single day. So just beginning to go, hey, let me think, let me look at all the ways I need help here. That's actually really healthy for women to do. I remember the beginning of 2021, I was super burned out with work and and just life. Things were I was going through so much with my kids. And I remember praying and the Lord told me, ask for more help. Ask for more help, like in all different ways and work. I got a housekeeper then uh, where that we, we hadn't had a housekeeper for a few months before. And whatever I could afford, I spent a few months going, I just need to get help so I can get better. And I think that that is such an important message to give women, to give women permission to ask for help. I remember um, when I was eight, my great aunt Shirley, I remember going to have Christmas at her house and we get in and she's smiling and everyone is good. They're going to have a great time. It's Christmas, right? And we get in and she told us that she had been cooking for three days. She told everybody that she had been cooking for three days. And I didn't know at age eight what was wrong, but I knew something was wrong. I knew Shirley was very loving. Her kids loved her. Every The extended family, everything was great. Everyone was smiling. But I didn't have a good time because something was wrong. And I didn't understand until I got older that Shirley never wanted to cook all that food by herself. But she didn't give herself permission to ask for help. She never said, hey, can everybody bring a dish? Or can we trade off houses? So even though she was doing what she thought was loving, which is what all moms do, we try to be superhuman, she actually ended up through the years becoming resentful and a little bit bitter about it. And that bitterness leaked all over everyone that was around her, even though 100% of her intentions were in the right place. And so there's been seasons of my life, I've been great Aunt Shirley, where I haven't asked for help. I've let myself kind of wither inside and I've gotten a little bitter about it. And it's that bitterness that sometimes comes up for moms that can be a great indicator of, hey, I need to start getting in touch with what I need and ask for some help so I can be the healthiest version of me. Because we don't want to teach our daughters that that's how women have to live. And we don't want to teach our sons that that's what they should expect from their wives. Just women who just give and give and give and become a shell of themselves. I think there are probably a lot of women listening who are saying, okay, that sounds good in theory, but the thought of actually asking for help, one, nobody can do it as good as me. And two, like who would actually help me? Like, I feel like I've asked for help before and no one helps me. And so talk to that woman who's feeling this resistance to what you're saying. 
That's a great question. My rule of thumb is if someone can do it 75% as well as I would have done it, it's worth it to let somebody else do it, whether in life or in business. And also, sometimes when we ask for help, people don't know exactly how to help or how to jump in. So if it's one person we're asking for help, that may look like saying, I need help with this, and this is what I need you to do. So sometimes asking for help is actually delegating and going, hey, I need you to do this. This is how to do it. I need help here. I need you to do this, and this is how to do it. So it's not a vague, can can you guys help me? It's more of a, here's what needs to be done. Here's how it's going to be done. If anybody wants to change the details, let me know. But this is how we're going to get it done. And for me and a big family, that's exactly how it worked through the years. Once the kids got old enough, it was, here's what you're going to do, and here's how you do it. But that can be your family getting together for get-togethers. It can be going out of town and getting everybody ready. It can be, um, you know, planning a party for a friend and you and all the mutual friends get together and go, hey, here's what it needs to be done. Women are naturally afraid of being bossy, right? Because you don't, you especially not a Christian woman, who does she think she is being bossy? When we ask for help, we don't need to be demanding and rude. We can just say, I'm over my capacity. I can't handle this. I need help. Here's what you can do. And most people go, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. But no one likes to jump in when it's vague. So good. So I think that, you know, we talk about this imperfect mom thing and how it's actually a gift that we give our kids. But I feel like there are also a lot of moms who are thinking, but where's the line? Like, you know, I I want to give my kids opportunities to step up and do things for themselves. But I also want them to know that I'm not just dropping the ball on everything that I care about them, or I want to do these things for them. How do we find the line between helping them, but not enabling them? I'll say just as a broad overview, you take it situation by situation. However, I'll put it this way. So many women have said to me, If I give myself grace as a mom, I'm afraid that I'll become a terrible mom. And I had a lot of Christian therapists speak into this book because I didn't want this book to just be my opinion. I wanted this to be a book that therapists could give their clients and, and moms felt good giving it to other moms or grandmas giving it to young moms. And so I went to them and said, is this a worry? Are are these amazing moms going to become bad moms if they give themselves grace? And they all said one version of this, that everyone who reads this book and everyone who's listening to your show right now, we are probably over-functioning as mothers. We're probably doing a little too much. And if we give ourselves a little bit of grace, it's going to help us kind of get into the normal range of what we should do. And one therapist was so funny. She said, I've never had a narcissist come into my office and say, can you help me for being a narcissist? I want to get better. She said, bad moms aren't going to read this book. The women who are going to read this book are such terrific moms that they're doing 10 times the work that they need to do. So this is just going to help them take a little pressure off of them. And for that, I think everyone can kind of take a breath and go, you're right. You couldn't pay a bad mom to read this book, right? If you want to read this book, you're doing so much already that you're probably bordering on mom burnout already. So doing a little less is going to be healthy for you and healthy for those kids. But really, taking it situation by situation is a really good thing. 
I hear from so many moms who have teens mm-hmm. who they, you know, I talk a lot about empowering our kids to take responsibility, raising adults, all of that. It's something I'm really passionate about. I know you are definitely passionate about that and for reading your book. How do we start with that though? If let's say for the first 13 years, we were doing a lot of stuff or most everything for our child. How do we then make that shift if they're already teenagers? I think where it goes off the rails is when we've parented in one way and then all of a sudden we're like, and you're going to do it all on your own now. Good luck. I think a lot of conversations, a lot of the the whys behind what we do, why something matters, why we do it this way, why we don't do it that way, and talking to them like little adults to some degree. Here's why this matters. Here's why we do it this way. Be sure not to do this. Here's all the ways that this is going to get messed up if you do it that way. That's really important with every new bit of responsibility you give them. And kids are going to fight. I'm going through this with my youngest right now, who is a freshman, and he's the baby of so many children. So, and he's had a lot of health issues. So we really babied him. But now that he's starting to come out of these health issues and it's time for him to take a little responsibility for himself, um, it's it can be a bit of a fight. We had the first week of school last week. There was a day last week he went to school without lunch because lunch is on him to pack now. So there are there are definitely some hiccups, but letting your kids know why things are important how to do it, how not to do it, and then taking it step by step. You're responsible for your lunch. You're responsible for your homework. You're responsible for these things. We don't do it all at once. We kind of, we take baby steps into it. And within a year, I think six months to a year, you can have a completely new kid in terms of responsibility. But it's a little bumpy the first the first few weeks and the first few months of teaching them responsibility. Um, I, I have a little part in the book from the former head of the National College Counselors Association. And one quote that I use in that book is that he said that kids of this generation who are going to college now are completely unable to care for themselves because their parents have done so much for them. Not only, now there's always jokes like go to college and you can't do your laundry and you can't do this, but huge anxiety, huge issues because the parents have done so much. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with if we as moms who are over-functioning now do a little bit less, help our kids get a little bit stronger, it is only going to benefit them in the long term. That reminds me, I was at college orientation with my oldest a few weeks ago, and it was the parent class that they were kind of helping us. And one of the things that they said was, you know, how to make sure that you're preparing your child well, make sure to send them with a medicine box. And they say, you know, put all the different kinds of medicine that you might, they might need, and then take a picture of it. So then when they call you and they're sick, you can tell them, take two pills out of the purple bottle. That's literally what they said. And I was sitting there going... I don't, I mean, I really, really hope that if she's sick, she would know how to take care of herself because that is the goal, right? Wow. <laughs> how, how babied have people been? Like, you can't say, go, go to the store and get some Sudafed. <laughs> yes. That's what I was wow. thinking. Like two pills out of the purple bottle. You know, I understand if like your child is, you know, has some learning disabilities or other things like disabilities, but like, I, I feel like a normal child should be able to 
figure out for themselves when they're 18 what they need to do if they're feeling sick or they can call their mom and be like, hey, mom, I was going to go to the store and buy some medicine. Not sure what I should get. Um, what, you know, at least that, like asking for help no. versus you like taking a picture and telling them exactly how many pills of what bottle to take. 18-year-olds storm the beaches of Normandy. They can handle taking cough medicine on their own. Bless it. (laughs) So as we wrap up, I was just thinking how you have these older kids now. Like You have parented for a lot of years. And as you look back and think of yourself as this young mom, we have a lot of young moms who will be listening as well. What are one or two pieces of advice that you wish that someone had told you or you wish that you really had understood and taken to heart when you were a young mom? Oh, gosh, so much. I think so much of it is the checking in on yourself and the truth that I didn't need to read all of those parenting books when I was little that told me the 15 things I had to do. And if I didn't do them all right, my child would go off the wrong, uh, on the wrong track. Or if you don't do family devotions every night, their future's ruined. I wish I had known that all of that advice could be a little bit shaming and triggering and that I didn't actually have to do it to be a great mom to raise great kids. I wish I had known that. And then I wish I had known to take better care of myself. In the book, I talk about the power of the magic question habit. And that's just checking in with yourself every day and saying, what do I need right now? I wish I had done that so I wouldn't have spent years burned out. Maybe one, you know, some days have been, uh, the answer is I need a coffee or I need to sit and eat lunch or I need to use the bathroom without little fingers coming under the door and hot wheels rolling under the door. Or I need to have lunch with a girlfriend this weekend and get out of this house But I wish I had been in the habit of asking myself what I needed and honoring that so I could have modeled that to my children earlier. Um, There's there's no benefit for a child to grow up with a mother who has kind of taken on this badge of martyred motherhood, that that's the only good way to be a mother. I wish I had learned that earlier and learned that it was good and okay and what God wanted for me to love myself as I loved others too. I just really appreciate you sharing from your wealth of wisdom and experience of parenting a lot of boys like that. <laughs> you, you've been through a lot. You've walked through a lot. And the stories that you share are so relatable. Like it will make you laugh and it will make you feel like, okay, I'm not the only one. And so even just getting this book for the stories alone, totally worth it. But the the content and, you know, I love how it's the secret art of confident motherhood. And I was just thinking how each chapter will just infuse anyone who listens to the book, reads the book, just with this newfound confidence in God and in who he has created you to be as a mom and how he has gifted you uniquely and given you exactly what you need to be the mom to your kids and how that's going to look different than how someone else is mothering their kids. And you can trust the Holy Spirit in you to give you that wisdom and that confidence to parent your uniquely gifted children. And so I just appreciate so much your willingness to write this book and share so openly and share some that, you know, it's going to probably for some people really kind of push them and step on their toes a little bit. I know I got mine stepped on in a good way. I would just encourage anyone who, if you are struggling in motherhood, if you're feeling a little bit of burnout, or you just want to be a better mom and you don't know what that looks like, get a copy of Allie's book, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood. 
Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.